glad that you're here, and I'm glad I get to preach. You know, anyone who has ever preached remembers their very first sermon. And probably everyone who heard them preach their first message remembers it as well. There's a story about the great, great British preacher Charles Spurgeon, who had a preacher's college in, in London. Uh, they had a tradition where Spurgeon would simply walk up to a student and give them a text or a passage of scripture, and the student would be required to immediately go in front of the class, the professors, and Spurgeon himself, and preach from that passage of scripture. Well, on one such occasion, Spurgeon passed the desk of a young man and gave him the passage about Zacchaeus, the tax collector that Jesus encountered in Luke chapter 19. Now this young man had never preached in public. He had never stood before anyone and spoken at all. And so he was scared to death. And so he went to the podium trembling and he preached this very simple message. Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down, so will I. <laughs> and with that he went back to his seat. Yeah. Right here in Acts chapter 2, we have the very first sermon preached after the Holy Spirit of God came and formed the very first church. In fact, there are 19 different sermons or speeches given in the book of Acts. One-fourth of the book of Acts is given to sermons and preaching. So we learn from this that preaching was and still is very important to the church. Actually, what we have here is a team effort. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about the 120 believers who had gathered in that upper room. They were waiting for Jesus to fulfill the promise of sending the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit suddenly flooded that room. And it filled their lives with such power that they began declaring the wonders of God in languages that they had never learned before. Now I'm saying this is pretty amazing. God's Spirit filled their life, and all of a sudden they were speaking the wonders of God's truth in languages that they had never spoken before. You might wonder, well, why did God do that? Well, I'll tell you why. There were other people in Jerusalem from all over the world, people who spoke these different languages, but miraculously, they were hearing the good news of the gospel in their own language. It was amazing. It was a miracle. All of this created a stir and the, and the people in the crowd asked, what does all of this mean? What does this mean? Some even thought these early disciples were drunk. I'll come to that in a minute here. But, but then the lead apostle Peter stood up and he preached this very powerful message that we're going to look at today. Let me give you the cliff notes on his message. He said in verse 21, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That in essence was his message. That is the good news. Whoever. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what clouds are following you. It doesn't matter of your past. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Woo! Anybody in here can be saved. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. That was Peter's message. That's my message to you as well. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. What was the response of that? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? What do we do? Verse 41 tells us, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I'd say that was a pretty good first day of the church, wouldn't you? 3,000 people got saved. Remember, church, that Jesus Christ is on this unstoppable quest to get the good news of the gospel to the nations of the world. And the method that he has chosen to do that is through empowered witnesses. Men and women, boys and girls like you and me, who have received the Holy Spirit and who are willing to share the good news of the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what we have here in Acts chapter 2 is the way God is going to not only birth His church, but expand His church. And not only birth the church and expand the church, this is the way God is going to rock the world. He's going to do it through the preaching of His unstoppable message. This was the way God first rocked the world with the gospel, starting with this small group of 120 people. And it will be the way that God continues to rock the world, not only this morning, all around our world, but in the days to come, using people like you and me sharing the good news of the gospel. It is His unstoppable quest. And we see that in Peter's message this morning. Uh, there are four important parts to this plan that God has. And we need to keep these things in mind. Let's start, number one, with a truth-seeking audience. All right, For this plan of God's to come to completion, there's got to be a group of people seeking the truth. We'll simply call them seekers. And you know what? They're all around us. In fact, I think there are a few seekers in here this morning. You came today looking for something that is missing in your life. Okay? All of us have a missing part or a piece in our life. That's the way God made us. There's something missing inside of us. There is a God-sized vacuum in our soul that only God can fill. And everybody is looking for that missing piece. The problem is the people in our world are looking in all the wrong places. The answer is only found in Jesus Christ. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So who are these people who heard this message? Well, they were Jews who had come to Jerusalem from various nations to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. When they heard the commotion, these people were amazed. And here's what they were amazed with. They were amazed that these ordinary 120 disciples could do something that was so extraordinary, and that is speak in their own languages the truth of God. That is a miracle. But here's what I want you to see. God orchestrated all of that. God put this plan together because God wants to engage these particular people on that day with the other people who could share the good news of the gospel. Let me tell you, it was no coincidence that these hot-hearted witnesses hit the streets when they did. Because God Almighty was going after a group of people. 
He had already eyeballed all of these people coming to Jerusalem that day. And God wanted them to hear the good news of the gospel. God will always put His people where they can reach other people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. In fact, there was something about the way these disciples of Jesus lived that caused others to ask, what does this mean? I mean, that's the question they were asking. What does all of this mean? Here are some ordinary people doing some extraordinary things. What does this mean? Made me stop and ponder the question, is there anything in the way I live my life that is causing other people to ask the question, what is it that makes you different? I mean, what is it about you? And can I do a real quick little time out and get real personal with you? I mean, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, there needs to be something quite different in our life that is manifested in the lives of the people of this world. We should think different, we should speak different, we should act different, we should be different. And so, when was the last time somebody came up to you and said, you know something, there is something different about you. Could you please tell me what it is? I mean, maybe they've seen something about your courage or they've seen a, a peace that's in your life that the world doesn't have. Or maybe it's just on your countenance or it's in your speech or it's the love that you have that others are taking notice of. Let's go back to verse 14 because Peter steps up and tells them there is an explanation for the way these people are acting. And the explanation is found in the Word of God. Look at what he says in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and take heed to my words. For these people are not drunk. Okay? They thought they were drunk. He said, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, I mean, this is simply a fulfillment to what has been prophesied in the Old Testament. And Peter knew his audience. He knew the people listening to him that day. These were serious Jews who not only knew the law and the prophets, they kept the law. They knew that when the Messiah would come, there would be this great outpouring, this great manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. And as religious as these people were, there was something missing in their lives. And so Peter goes on to say in verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> and to this truth-seeking audience, Peter is simply saying, listen guys, this is what you've been looking for. 
This is what you've been dreaming about. This is what you've been talking about. This is what you're looking for. It's right here. It's happening today. The explanation for the way these ordinary people are living extraordinary lives is because God's word has been fulfilled today and they have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what happened to them, Peter said, can happen to you. And I'm here to tell you, it can happen to you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Church, listen to me. Listen very closely. We as Christians are not just robots walking around spouting Bible verses and speaking the plan of salvation. We are flesh and blood human beings who have relationships with other human beings. We are people whose hearts have been filled with the love of Jesus Christ for other people. And that's what makes other people look at us and feel about us the way Jesus said they would. We have something that the world doesn't have. They're looking for it. By all means, let's give it to them. They're seeking truth. They just don't know it. Or maybe they're looking in all the wrong places. Hmm. That brings me to point number two. We are the speakers. Not only do we have the truth-seeking audience, the seekers, we also have the spirit-controlled witnesses, us, believers, who are the speakers of the truth. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, Peter, along with those other 120 apostles, received the Holy Spirit's power, and they all became witnesses. As I said earlier, this was a team effort. There was the witnessing by all the believers, declaring the wonders of God. I mean, they were all speaking the truth. They were all witnessing. All 120 disciples who had received the Holy Spirit were speaking to others about the great things of God. Everyone was witnessing. Do we, do we see that picture? Everybody. Everybody's speaking. It's like, it's like us here today. It's like you leaving this place and going to a restaurant or going to your job tomorrow and you're speaking the wonderful things of God. You're not afraid. You're brave. You're opening your mouth and you're telling people what God has done in your life. That's what all of them were doing. Who was doing it? Everybody. All of them. But then something else happened. Something was added to that. Not only was everyone individually speaking the truth, but all of a sudden, Peter stood up before the whole crowd and he spoke. He preached. He preached a message to them. So, here's what's happening. The power of the Holy Spirit is being channeled through individuals' lives who are speaking the truth and then one of them stood up and preached the truth. Now, I want to go back and, and look what Peter said because he's quoting the prophet Joel here. And this is what he said in verse 17. He said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will all prophesy. 
All of them, men, women, boys and girls, young and old, they're all going to be sharing the good news of the gospel. So Joel is looking to a day when men and women everywhere are so filled with God that they catch visions of Him during the daytime. They dream about God at nighttime. And because they're thinking about God during the day and they're dreaming about God at night, they continually speak and tell others about God with their mouth. Does that make sense? Let me say it like this. Whatever you're passionate about is what you're going to talk about. Whatever fills your mind and fills your heart, that's what you're going to... Some of y'all are passionate about your kids and your grandkids. You love them so much that that's all you talk about, and that's what we have to listen to. You know, you know, you know how it is. You're, you're proud of them. You think about them. I mean, you have hobbies. You have sports, things that you're passionate about. You, you love to do, and so you talk about it. Uh, this past week, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, the National Championship of Cowboy Action Shooting. We had over 800 shooters out there. It was, it was crazy. It was wild. But you know what? Everyone there is passionate about cowboy shooting. So you know what they all talked about? Cowboy shooting. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, as your pastor and as a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray for and I long for the day when I pastor a group of people who are that passionate about Jesus, that you're daydreaming about Jesus all day long. You're dreaming about Jesus at night. And because He is the thing you're passionate about, you're not afraid to talk about Him in front of others. God, make us that way. Fill our heart with that passion. Here's the cool thing that happened. The spirit-inspired speech of these people was combined with the upheavals that were happening in their world today, and people were needing to know what to do. Well, I'm here to tell you, we live in the same day today. Our nation is in a mess. Our world is in a mess. And people are wondering, what do we need to do? Well, we are the ones who can tell them what to do. Because we have the good news of the gospel. And these unstoppable witnesses, both men, women, boys and girls, young, old, will be there generation after generation to proclaim the truth. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So church, I want to challenge you today to be that witness. Be that witness. Be bold in your faith. Fall in love with Jesus. Be passionate about Jesus. When the world sees you, make sure that they know there's something different about your life. Let me just tell you a quick story about my, my encounter this past week, cowboy action shooting. We're shooting posses. That's what they call groups of people. We, we shot 12 stages. We shot four one day, four the next, four the final day. And, and we're with these 22 other people shooting these scenarios and these posses. And the very first day they did the roll call of the people in the posses. Of course, my name's Holy Smoke. They said, Holy Smoke, I said, here. And they came to this one guy's name was Sinful. I thought, oh boy, here we go. Russ was on that posse, Revelator's on that posse. I looked at Russ, he looked at me, and I said, Lord, I know what my assignment is this week. <laughs> I know what my assignment is. Over three days, I got to meet Sinful and talk to him. He's from California. You know how California people are. Anyway, you know what? Four is all over with Sinful, and I struck up a relationship, became friends, and, and we were talking. So finally, the last day, I said, dude, where'd you get that name? I mean, what, where, where'd Sinful come from? And he told me the whole long story, and I said, well, I'm kind of on the other end of that spectrum. 
after I said, you keep me in business, I keep you in business, <laughs> you know, the way that goes. He, sa- he said something, he says, you know, I knew there's something different about you. Praise the Lord for that, man. Praise the Lord for that. God's like, I'm just here to tell you, let's, let's, let's cut all the nonsense out. God's looking for people who want to be the real deal and who will be the real deal. Stop the facades. Stop the play acting. If you call yourself a Christian, would you be a Christian? That's going to affect the way you think, the way you speak, where you go and what you do. The people of this world need to see the real deal. They need to see Jesus. And the only way they can see Jesus is through the real Jesus living inside of you. There were seekers needing the truth. And thank God there were speakers who would be willing to speak the truth. That brings me to number three. That's the actual message that was spoken. It was a Christ-exalting message. It was the sermon that Peter preached. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So what is the this that they heard? It says when they heard this, well, what this did they hear? Well, Peter tells them exactly what they need to hear, what they need to believe, and what they need to do in order to be saved. He planted the seed of the gospel. That seed has to be planted and watered for the harvest to come, for people to be saved. And so he preached a real simple little message. I'm just going to give you his points, okay? He had four points to his message. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about the plan of salvation. His first point was this. The miraculous life of Jesus Christ. So we talked about the life of Christ. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So Peter introduces them to Jesus of Nazareth, who was a historical person. He really lived. In fact, twice in this one sentence, Peter says that God was in work through the life of Jesus doing miracle after miracle. Church, you can't look at the life of Jesus and just write it off as a good man who lived about 2,000 years ago because Jesus was much more than just a good man. He was fully man, but at the same time, he was fully God. He was all man and he was all God and he proved it by the life that he lived and the miracles that he did. The Jesus of the New Testament is not the Jesus of the Mormon church nor is he the Jesus of the Muslims. He is the Jesus of God. He is the Jesus in the Bible. He is the Jesus that performed miracles. He is the Jesus that walked on water. He is the Jesus that can save. Anytime you talk about Jesus, you got a good sermon. Huh? So he talked about the life of Jesus, but then he continued to talk about the death of Jesus, the substituting death of Jesus. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. <laughs> it's not, this is not some happy, feel-good sermon right here. This is a get-in-your-grill sermon. Said you put him on the cross. You killed him. You crucified him. With the help of wicked men, you did this to Jesus. 
You know what? I think if Peter was standing up here today, he'd say the same thing to us. We did it. We put Jesus on the cross. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. And make no mistake about it, the cross was no accident in the life of Jesus. It was purposed by God the Father from the beginning of time. For you see, the only way a holy and yet loving God could deal with our sin problem was for His righteous, only begotten Son, Jesus, to die in our place on the old rugged cross to pay a sin debt that we could not pay. He died on the cross for us. So there's something about His life. There's something about His death. Number three, there's something about His resurrection. It was powerful. Verse 24, but God raised Him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Woo, man. Now, now remember, Peter is speaking to Jews. So here in verses 25 through 31, he shows that the resurrection of Jesus fits with all of the prophecies found in the Old Testament. So it was the Messiah himself that they killed, but the grave couldn't hold Jesus. God raised him up. In fact, in verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So I can say to you, the resurrection is historically verifiable. Skeptics may scoff at it, but the fact is, Jesus is alive. So he preached about his life, he preached about his death, he preached about his resurrection. Point number four of his sermon was the exalted reign of Christ. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Wow. His message was not politically correct. Imagine that. Honestly, I mean, there's no political correctness to this message at all. Anybody can be saved. But what he is saying right here is there's only one way you get to heaven. There's only one way you can be saved. That's God's way through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. There are many roads that lead to Jesus, but there's only one way into heaven. It's Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. How many ways is there to get to heaven, church? One way. That's pretty narrow, isn't it? In fact, when you and I go out into the world and we speak this truth today, we are called narrow-minded and we are called intolerant. It's what we're called. I guess so be it, man. Now, I tell you what, I think Christians are more tolerant than, than people who, who say they're tolerant. Because let me tell you, anybody can come into this church we welcome anybody into this church. Drug addicts, they're welcome here. Alcoholics, they're welcome here. Harlots, they're welcome here. Adulterers, they're welcome here. Those addicted to pornography, they're welcome here. 
Sinners are welcome here. Come on in. You can come in here. We're not intolerant in that regard. We welcome everyone here. But let me tell you, when you get here, you're going to hear this very narrow-minded sermon that says there's only one way your problems can go away. There's only one way you can be saved. There's only one way you can go to heaven. God's way. Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, Peter was preaching this message to these people who were all outstanding, upstanding religious people. But he's saying it's more than religion that you need. It's more than just being good. You need Jesus in your life. The radical message of the cross puts every one of us on level ground. Why? Because we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we all need the same thing. The grace of God through Jesus Christ. Boy, what a message he preached. It was a Christ-exalting message. And it cut to the very heart of those listening to it. I mean, he dialed up their number. He spoke right to them. And what is the result of all of it? Well, it's the life-changing response we want to end with. I'll call this salvation. We've talked about the seekers. We've talked about the speakers. We've talked about the sermon. Now comes the salvation. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now guys, here's what's amazing to me. All of this started with some people who asked, What does this mean? Remember that? What what does all of this mean? And it ends with the same people asking the question, What shall we do? What does this mean? And what shall we do? (laughs) I've almost got to chuckle because, you know, that's exactly where we are today. Because every one of you have come into this place of worship this morning and there's stuff happening in your life, isn't there? There's stuff happening. Some of you are in a big old mess right now. Maybe you've dialed it up yourself. Maybe you've created the mess. Maybe somebody else has dumped the mess on you, but you're in a mess. And you're wondering... What does all this mean? I mean, why is this happening to me? Why am I having these problems? What did I do to deserve all this? I mean, whether it's problems at work or problems at home or problems in relationships or problems physically or problems... doesn't matter what the problem is, but you've all wondered before, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Are you with me? And so you're here today and you're wondering, you know, man, why? why? What, what, what does this mean? What, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It comes to that second question, what, what should I do? What it means is this, God's working in your life. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, things happening to you, God's working in your life. And God has brought all of that stuff together to a point today to get your attention. I mean, he's dialing up your number. He's speaking to you. What does this mean? Well, it means that God's got something better for you. And God is speaking to your heart and in your life. What do you need to do? You need to surrender to Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
whoever. So it doesn't matter what your problem is or what you've done or what you've been involved in. You can be saved today. You can be forgiven. You can have a brand new start. Man, woo! All you have to do is believe. You know what? If you're a believer here today and you're a Christian, there's still going to be bad things happen in your life. I've been saved since I was six years old. Man, I, it, bad things happen almost every day to me. But I know God's working in my life. You know what he's wanting from me today? He's wanting me to just to come and, and surrender everything to him. Just give it all to him. To do what Paul said, to, to lay my body on the altar of sacrifice and hold nothing back for myself but give it all to him. And so that's what I'm asking you to do today. Just surrender to Jesus. Give him your problems. He'll give you peace in return. Give him your troubles. He'll help you think right. Would you do that today? What should I do? Come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts right now as only you can. And Lord, as we open up our altars for people to come and pray, I, I just ask that your spirit would, would give us freedom, Lord, to come today and, and kneel before you and worship and pray and give you our life and our problems and our family and and everything we have. Lord Jesus, do something special right now in this room and in our hearts. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. They're going to sing. But as soon as you stand up, would you come and pray?